The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Warning! This is part two of a two-parter, so if you haven't heard the first part, go back and listen to it. Also, this podcast may contain bad language and content that some listeners may find... Jizzable. Jizzable. So offensive. Depends if you find jizzable offensive. I'm sure some people will. It's inherently quite gooey. Mm, much like the content of this podcast. Is it- the insides of a very moist cake. I mean... That's how I like to think of Seesaw Podcast, the insides of a moist cake. Would you like to smear that all over you? Mm. I have literally nothing to say to that. <laughs> Welcome to the Seesaw Podcast with Tea and Cleves. Each week, offering up a great perspective on life. Hello and welcome to part dose of a two-parter, as mentioned by Cleves. He ended this in a part one. Fuck off and go back to listen to part one. Come oh, on. For the sake of falling squirrel, I'm sorry for the intro. <laughs> Guys are genuinely we... good guys and I feel like... I yeah. Don't, I, don't, I don't want to disrespect them in any way, really. And this could have been a non-explicit episode, but we've ruined it completely, and we could re-record, but we're not going to. So we roll. Fucking it up from the start. Yes. So, Cleves, part two, what is this about? Part two is the future of accessible gaming, audio-based gaming, just general accessible accessible gaming. And of course, we're still chatting to Dave and Jamie from Falling Squirrel about The Veil, Shadow of the Crown, and everything that went into that as well. So, we hope you enjoyed the second part of this interview. Stay tuned for afterwards as well, because we're going to do a little bit of... Housework. Yeah. As you alluded to, Jamie, I'm going to let Dave run loose a little bit here, because, like, of course, the voice acting and that side of things is very important on a narrative game. So, of course, you mentioned getting members of the blind and visually impaired community involved with the voice acting side of things. Yeah, I mean, one thing... I made a decision right from the very beginning is I wanted a certain, um, I've definitely wanted to have some representation or at least make a very, uh, like a honest, serious effort for that. At the same time, I did not want to compromise the quality of, of the performances. So uh, the first thing that made this trickier than I'd hoped was that I, I, I didn't want North American accents for, I, maybe, I don't know if it's a particularly North American sensibility, but I, I get taken out of fantasy scenarios yeah. Like that, when, <laughs> when, when you hear a gut, someone with a, like a, a Bronx accent walks in, like he came off a subway in New York and it's like, who's this dude? Um, so you <laughs> lean on like an English center. I, I, by the way, I was on the fence as whether or not it should be a Middle Eastern center to the game. And this is a Middle Eastern character moving away from a Western sort of civilization or whatever. I, I really did go by the casting. I cast a huge number of people asking for accents that were connected either their accents 
or they're very good at accents, or they can channel a relative, like an uncle or something, a Syrian yeah. uncle. And they like it. So I, I did have that as the high bar. I wanted to make sure the accents were decent at least. And then uh, the main character solidified around an English accent because of the, the, the woman I found to play Karen Knox, who was just fantastic. Um, so that's where it started. So that was the reason I decided to have the, her journey home East, um, which kind of flips things to be a more English sounding a british sounding area uh moving away from where she starts the borderlands which ends up being uh sort of placelessly persian or eastern european so that was it was mainly the accents i had uh out of toronto essentially and then when i started uh you know trying to find people within the community actra the the uh union there we actually didn't have a tremendous amount of success finding people who could do the accents uh, within the blind and low vision community. They actually didn't have a lot of people on roster for this, uh, which I was a little surprised. So then I threw the net out huge uh, and then eventually found uh, actually one of our playtesters in the very first playtest we had uh, was a radio personality named Rami Amuthan, who interestingly enough, I didn't know what accent she wanted to try. I actually had her try attempt an English accent, which wasn't half bad, but it wasn't uh, there quite. And uh, she said, I can do, she, her parents are Sri Lankan, but she said, I can do a West Indian accent. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so that's what we decided for her. And it, it, that wasn't overly Western. I realize it's West, the West Indies, but I, I it just kind of worked for the, she was playing a street kid in this scenario. And I thought it just kind of worked for the feeling of the village. And I, we ended up giving her one of the main roles in the game. Um, she's the one in the Baker quest. Who's the, the, the young street kid. Uh, and then there was a, a woman who could do accents and a lot of different ones who's, who spoke Serbian. And so she could take on and field a lot of the Eastern European accents as well as do some British accents. And she became a jack of all trades character. She plays about seven roles in the, in the, uh, in the game and uh, she's out of the States. And then I also ended up running a little thin on the British accents, So I ended up casting out of London. There's a, a, a studio in London, England that I, I met on a, at a, at a conference and he was a voice director and he said, Oh, we'd love to help. So I ended up filling in the, uh, the bulk of the British uh, side characters came from, uh, came from London. Um, and, and there was one person within the blind low vision community who came out of that. So it's basically three or four uh, people from the community. And I, I really just played, it was, it was casting for their abilities um, and hoping, praying that I, I would be able to cast within the community, which we were able to do. Uh, and I learned a lot about how to record someone who can't see as well. I, I didn't even conceive of how, how different this would be, but uh, the idea of cold reading from a, a page is not an option. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe they'll memorize or, or we'll have to have some, I'll have to send them ahead of time and they'll put it on a Braille machine or something because one of our consultants uh, has some sort of a sh- shorthand sort of Braille output that he can feel texts and texts and things. Uh, but both of the, both of the women that played, uh, uh, the two I mentioned, Ramia and uh, Tanya is her name um, from the States. Uh, they both recorded from robot playback while they're talking. So it's not like they'd listen yeah. to the line and say it. They would be hearing the line in their ear as they're saying it. And this re- weird Cyrano de Bergerac sort of thing <laughs> where they're <laughs> like, where like someone's whispering less, but they're, and, and it was crazy listening to a robot voice be translated into a, a very human performance in, in real time. I, I was sort of stunned, but it's, it takes, takes a lot of practice. Both of them said they've been doing this for years. Rami did it on her show. She's a radio uh, celebrity. I don't know. She's a, works for uh, AMI TV AMI, AMI TV in Canada. And then Tanya is, a, is an actor. So uh, they had both used this uh, 
thing, but we had to do things like make sure there's no bleed from the headphones onto the track and stuff like that. But it was, it was cool. I, I really enjoyed learning that and now I'd be prefer- prepared to do it again. Speaking of doing it again, I guess this kind of brings us towards the end. Do you have plans to do anything like this again, even in like a different setting? Like me and Tony were talking earlier, but we said it potentially worked really great as a sort of horror game. Yeah, and 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 that's the that's usually where people start is horror because it, it is the it is the uh, I don't want to say it's a cheap win, um, <laughs> but it's so effective. It's it's such an effective thing to do to take away a, a sight. Uh, it's such a classic thing to do in horror. Horror movies are dark. Cameras are really close. You can't see off screen. Uh, so limiting people's perceptions and ability to take things in is a huge aspect of horror. So I, I think that's, that's, those are always a slam dunk to, to do binaural audio stuff. A lot of the stuff within the community, community made games and embraced games are, there's a, a mud called swamp, which is a zombie shooter. And, uh, and again, those work pretty well. Uh, we, we'd, we'd wondered if we wanted to take uh, range combat in, in a step, take it a step up and have another noisy scenario, a future sort of sci-fi scenario. Um, there's also talk of, of uh, because of what, where the community would love to see uh, us add to expand combat. That seemed to be where, where people uh, got the most, where they're most interested in having something that's more replayable in that, uh, like an arena uh, fighter uh, where we kind of untether movement a little bit, where you can little do a little run and gunning with the, the bow. I actually had a bug at one point where the bear was attacking me and it wasn't setting me into, to, to um, what do you call it? Melee. And I actually realized it was, it was actually not too bad to run around and shoot arrows at the the bear and then potentially lock you into combat or have another version of combat, uh, melee combat, sort of uh, maybe something you choose to, to go into. Uh, so those are the things that are, that we're thinking about expanding. I've, I'm working on another project right now. So I'd love to start looking at that maybe in the summer and then potentially picking up the the story on, on some level. I mean, the Holy grail for me is to, to take this world and what we've started and, and I mean, let a, a little more robust RPG with visuals where people from the low vision community, people from the uh, hearing impaired community, uh, physical disability community could sort of come together, choose the kind of character they wanted, which could potentially have disabilities represented as aspects of their of what they who they play, but you wouldn't be limited uh, by your disability to who you are. So you could choose a character that was sighted, you could choose a character that was blind, and uh, the experience might change, but there were all accessibility would always be there. So you could play whomever you want. That's sort yeah. of the the dream, I think. I think even uh, uh, ideally, it would be really nice to see that in a PvP environment to have uh, different players having, you know, an, an equitable experience, even though the perception of the game is different. So a fully visual game that, uh, um, you know, a sighted player can see and interact with like a, uh, any other visual game, but they can play with uh, on a team or against uh, a player who uh, is uh, part of the blind and low vision community, but the, the gameplay experience is equitable that um, maybe the character abilities do different things maybe the way that they interact with the, the game environment is different but ultimately they are playing the the same game and interacting with each other uh in an equitable game space that would that for me that is really like the that would be the pinnacle i, I think it for a sighted person i give it that replayability factor something like that was offer. it's great to hear that there's things sort of in the pipelines and it's such a huge step forwards in the right direction, like the, the veil, and what it can sort of open up going forwards. Because you've made a game which is, 
accessible to the blind community. I, to be honest, I, I've never heard of a lot of sort of like accessible games up until this point. I've heard of a few, but because you've gone to a mainstream audience on Xbox and PC, that's a huge step forwards. And there's, there's been some accessibility in, in the past with certain other games, but it's always been an afterthought. There, there are a lot of studios that still do not consider accessibility even on their radar. It's, a lot of them think, oh, accessibility, shove some subtitles in there. And you think, well, that's, yep. not, that's not enough. But to lead with what you guys have done, where you've not just sort of made an accessible game, but you've made that, you've made a, a great narrative game which has no visuals. Like, that's how I think of it. Like, there's no visuals to it, and it's a narrative game that anyone can enjoy as opposed to, here's a game for the the blind uh, yeah. community. It's just a great game all round, really, as opposed to just a great game for blind people. Yeah. I feel sort of confident. I don't know if you guys have the same confidence that that with things like Last of Us uh, Part 2, big companies that have the means are, are going to start getting this right um, and or do a better job. And for the interesting thing, the thing I sort of want to qualify everything we did with is, is in a weird way, uh, even though we involved the sighted community early on, uh, I feel like I or we made a audio-based game, not not an accessible game, an audio-based game with the help of a community that really understood what the genre could do. And they helped us make a game for the sighted community in this really weird backwards way. In the end of it, I really felt like because this is this is a uh the, the whole the concept and the the mechanics we're using. Uh, had had a they existed they have a history in this community and and we're kind of introducing the rest of game players to this idea and, and also I have to acknowledge that the game isn't accessible for the the blind community so uh, you know at, at the, the an accessible game and the one that we hope to make I, I think one day uh, would be a visual game with with all these these things we learn from from audio gaming uh, but I think it's also okay to make an experience that stands alone it's like when you do music you don't you don't think of its accessibility. You think of making music and understanding that genre. And I felt like we made an audio game and, and try to do it, to try to make a, a much bigger audio game than had been made before. And that's maybe where we may succeed Cause I don't think there's too many games that are, are quite this big that are audio only. Yeah. It's, it's really nice to hear you guys express that sentiment. Cause that, that was, the goal. I remember, you know, do, doing the the pitch documentation uh, or, or funding applications, and that that was the goal. You know, there were games that existed like this, and you know, a, a big uh, uh, shout out goes to a, a Blind Legend, and you know, there were plenty of audio games, but but lots are made by hobbyists or don't have a, a budget to you know hire the voice talent that we did or to to get you know the really professional contractors uh, or somebody like uh, Dave who has decades of experience in in film and TV and AAA games and we really hoped that we would be able to make a kind of product that would bridge that divide between here people who are playing this game because it's accessible to them and there isn't enough game content that is accessible to them and here are people who play lots of games but want to experience something that is new and novel and I, i'm not sure if this is a, a accurate correction to dave what you were just saying i think you meant to say that the game is not accessible to the hearing impaired community Ooh. and that making a visual Sorry. game uh, uh, would help with that yeah so that you know there there are still shortcomings that that 
our game has we that you know, there aren't subtitles uh there is no way currently if uh you have hearing impairment even a, a partial one um let's say like you can hear better in one ear uh than the other uh to accommodate that and you know we we are aware and unfortunately it's just as a result of the limited scope of development there's not too much we can do with this project but like dave said we would love to work on another project that is as accessible as possible yeah so so thank you it's it's really nice to know that uh you know we 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 met the mark uh, at least according to you guys which is great definitely yeah and and on like the the hearing impaired, I I do sort of like hear that, especially with what you what you've put out with the veil, like it would have been very difficult to make it accessible to the the hearing impaired. But I suppose I would always say that the visual impairment side of things closes down a lot more doors than the hearing impairment does. I know a few deaf people and they would play AAA games, throw the subtitles on and be quite happy. And then I just sit there thinking, I would love to be able to play that, but there's literally no way I can play that. Um, and you just, you, I feel like, especially in the, the blind community, you've missed out on a lot more. And I know inclusion is really important. But if I'm being a bit selfish, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more, <laughs> a bit more like the veil in in the blind community because sometimes I think it's a higher mountain to climb. Sometimes I think yeah. that does put a lot of people off, and especially for an indie developer. I, I would encourage people to do to to really think of audio and audio gaming as as a as a legit genre that that does something different. It is super intimate and. And what you get out of binaural audio is is special. I mean, one thing I will say, especially in indie development, is when I'm talking to a main character and they're standing next to me and breathing, and I have a really good actor performing that character, I completely believe they're there. I'm not staring at their hair and saying that that hair uh, texture is terrible or or <laughs> or or the fa- facial animation is uncanny valley. It doesn't look quite right. I mean, it, it's uh, even the absolute best. Triple uh, A experience still can take you out of it with the technology, and and I do feel like uh, there is something much more uh, immersive about that experience in in taking away the visuals. So I, I think there is something to say for it as a genre, and not completely accessible genre again in the hearing impaired community, but uh, a, a valid genre that should be expanded, especially in indie game devs where development where you have to focus on something. And uh, leave it to the big boys to, I, I really think they're, well, I'd like to do it too, but they're the ones that I think, uh, again, everyone should follow Last of Us Part Two's lead and, and and start doing that for their games when they have the and, money. Yeah, yeah. touching on, on I guess, uh, inclusion and representation really quickly, there was just a few days ago uh, a... Uh, Xbox uh, conference or Xbox uh, stream um, all about their accessibility program uh, and, uh, you know, the projects that are, they're working on uh, to really, I think, reach new bounds for the kind of accessibility that I hope we can expect to see in more games. So, you know, even though I, I don't think you're wrong in saying that, you know, there there's definitely not enough accessible content uh, or representation of accessibility in, in games, I, I think that it's starting to ramp up really quickly. Even in the time that we 
you know, started versus finished the veil, we've seen a lot more just general accessibility options in games. I think maybe only a small handful of games had colorblind uh, options when we started. And now uh, most of the, especially AAA games that that uh, I've played since we've finished uh all have colorblind options, and we're seeing more and more uh, accessibility options come out in games. So, yeah, definitely, this is a good uh, both encouragement that it's happening, and it's good, and we like to see that, and a reminder that uh, it's worthwhile to spend the the time and focus on if you are a developer. Hundred percent. It's been great having both both of you on. Like this has been so educational. I, I've loved. Like, hearing about the the inner workings of the veil and sort of where the thought process was and it's been great having you both on thanks very much thank you this has been a lot of fun thank you yeah you guys are great thanks so much this is really fun Oh, I thought you were just going to swear, Jamie. They got to the <laughs> no. swear on the podcast. You, no, I was, uh, you know, I was thinking about a, a rant about, uh, you know, can, can are there developers who should pivot their adult entertainment games into the audio accessibility market? But we can save that for. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cheers, guys. Um, actually, one thing I will say, just as an addendum to this whole thing, is is, and I, I never, I always forget to mention it. People like say, I say I'm an indie game developer, and this is kind of, you know, this is our focus, this is what we do, and we work at the CNIB. But we do have a grant system in Canada that that I, I have to like acknowledge, like the Ontario government. They they also allow us to do projects like this uh, with the funding, uh, and and Xbox, they they helped us as well. And uh, I, I never give them the right kudos because I don't, I have to feed my family and. Things like that. So I can't, I can't, I can't just, I couldn't do a project this big as a hobby. Um, yeah, if we're, so uh, going I forget that list. a lot, but that's a um, big thank you to uh, Ontario create. Uh, yeah. Uh, Microsoft has, has been really helpful. Um, I always feel like I'm forgetting a million and one people, audio games.net, Martin Purcellus, the, the CNIB. It's not, it's not an award show, Jamie. <laughs> you know, you mentioned yet, it. Hey, do you guys have music? Can you play them off? Can you just play them off? <laughs> just, cut it, just cut it all. It's fine. And we're back from the past Cleves T, Jamie and D. You shortened his name to D. I, I it's did not shorten. a T and D. T, J, D, Cleves, Jamie, D. and Cleves. <laughs> yes. It works. It's a nice ring. It's a thing now. I'm hoping that they'll come back on after listening to this um, because they, they've got some really good ideas and attitudes about accessible gaming. and Where they want to go with it, I think, is really good. Like, yes. When they were speaking about having like sort of multiple characters with potential different flaws in the sense that it gives you a different sensory experience of a game whether you don't see any visuals whether maybe you don't hear anything maybe you you know whether your character has a particular disability or something like that they want to be defined by the disability but if you're a sighted person it gives you that replayability factor to go through a game again and again it's not fucking claire and leon in resident evil 2 is it where it's basically the same shitting character doing the same scenario except with a little bit different story the whole experience will change in a single game I, I agree, and I think it's quite uh, quite a mountain to climb. I do think it is, but the concept, if it's implemented correctly, it's such a unique idea. Because you've got to tap into the industry, like they did with the Veil. Yeah, the CNIB. Um, and 
getting partially people on board with the development. Exactly. And I think that's what you have to do. And like huge strides were taken to sort of like bridge that gap to like find out from like the horse's mouth, if you will, like what the issues are. And as mentioned, like there there were, there were warning flags of don't do this, don't do this as well. So I think a big collaborative piece. Um, and yeah, they're a small studio. So they did, I think they did an amazing job with the resources they had. Got big ambitions for the future. I think that's the main thing. And they did, they mentioned obviously the likes of The Last of Us Part Two and Naughty Dog and things like that. The big companies they were saying are what well, they think that are going to start working in those accessible qualities to their games to reach new audiences and potentially that's where people will start to follow. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that anti consumerism douchebag here and I'm just gonna say like For a change. <laughs> You're a dick. But what I will say is that this doesn't have to cost money. I mean, if it's great to like get consultants on, and I know Naughty Dog threw a lot of money around for consultancy and stuff like that for Last of Us Part Two. But I don't know about you, Cleese, but let's say for the school, we're like, oh, let's do another game, and they say came to us and said, oh, do you want it to be do some consultancy on this or do some voice acting or something like that? A paycheck isn't what I have in mind. I'm thinking about accessibility and what like, good it can do. I think and a lot of people with visual impairment will be on the same page. I'd say disability in general. Like, I, I think just the disabled community are so eager for this inclusivity. That desperate, you mean? It's completely desperate. Yes. To be a part of something. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. But at the same time, it's like, I think... You can't put a financial like you can't put a big like dollar sign next to that. You got it. at this point, it's really for the good of everyone with a disability. Yes. So payments kind of out the window. Maybe down the line, where things start to become a bit more niche, sure. But at this point, everyone should be involved to help with the general cause. I I completely agree. What we will say is that not everyone has enjoyed the game like we enjoyed it. So we are going to take the last few minutes of the podcast to just talk about some of the negatives that were raised in reviews. So firstly, all reviews are subjective. And what we're going to say here is no way an attack on anyone's opinions. Your opinion is your own. You're entitled to it. Even if you are wrong. Um, And we're not implying that anyone's wrong in this. I might be. You might be. But coming from the perspective of two blind guys... I think we have a bit more of authority to speak about this than those who are not visually impaired. Let's just throw throw it under the bus. The Escapist. It was mentioned by Dave and Jamie, to be fair, that there wasn't a particularly... Glowing review. No. It was mixed bag. It, It was. There were some positive things in the review from The Escapist magazine, and we disagree with a lot of the points raised. Although we do agree with a few. Well, let's start at the beginning. They couldn't even get the fucking developer's name right. Like, if you watch, like, the YouTube video, they say developer's flying squirrel. So, firstly, get your fucking facts right. Start with the basics. Yes. Like, playing devil's advocate. I don't remember the game expressly saying you should listen with headphones. If you don't play with headphones, you're not going to have a good time. Like, it's a binaural experience. Having a head, like, having headphones on is really important. I don't think the game expressly says that, but maybe that's something that can be patched in. 
but yeah, like some of the puzzles there, like you said, like with the pitfalls, I think really useful. And of course, some some of the the outlines of the review were like, oh well, never get repetitive. And I don't think they shone the light enough on things like the hunting sequences, where it is about tracking. Yeah. So one of the things that they mentioned was sort of ranged combat potentially wasn't used as well as it could be. But again, that's what Dave and Jamie said. You've only got X amount of budget to work with. It's the first game of its type in terms of a a global game that's accessible for everyone. So not everything's going to be 100% perfect. Yeah. But you've got to start somewhere. And that was one of the things they said they wanted to improve, if anything, when Dave was talking about the bug with the bear. He said maybe you could move around a little bit more and the range combat could be a bit more versatile in games coming up. When this bug happened, just moving around, listening for that bear, tracking it and shooting it with the bow because it wouldn't engage melee mode. Like it was too late into development, but that seems a really interesting concept and it worked. So that's something that's going to be developed on. So that adds more range to like the combat and the sound cues itself. And the next thing that was sort of mentioned, again, on the combat was the variation of combat, how it got a bit repetitive. Okay, yeah, I get that to an extent. But the enemies were varied up. And again, they were talking about how combat was used. With, with the audio sensory experience, they were saying you have that head transfer... Shit, I can't remember what it was called. But anyway... Like, in terms of how big your head is, what your ears listen to, and that sort of thing, that you can't have sort of enemies that are at, like, 360 angles. So they're sort of limited, not necessarily by their own constraints, but by the human body's constraints in what you can and can't do in terms of battle. So, yes, there was only three ways that you could fight left, right, and up, but that's not the fault of them. They had those constraints and they tried to work with those constraints in the sense of they tried to make the battle different. If sometimes you're running or on horseback or sometimes yep. you needed different attacks to beat enemies. And arrows are flying at you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You work within the constraints you've got and they always say that the best way to promote creativity is to give someone constraints. And I think working within those constraints, I think they did a good job. I do. Some of those fights were genuinely very tough. And even, that's the thing, you know the basics of the battle sequences from the start, and yet you get three quarters through the game, and it's still pissing you off at points. I'm still wanting to throw the controller out the window. And what I will say is, like, for for that criticism of, like, it's very simplistic, how many fucking games rely on the same concepts constantly? I mean, look at Zelda, man. Times, puzzles, the same things all the time, and... Now, even going like, let's go a bit more mainstream, Call of Duty, you choose a gun, you shoot someone, you throw a grenade. I'm sorry, but criticising the dynamics of a game is uh, is childish, dare I say? They They were talking about PvP, like, it'd be good if you could fight other players... Yeah. Within that scenario. And I think, especially if the proximity to move around, like you could with ranged combat... That would work. Again, takes a bit of developing. Yeah. This is the first this is the first of its type. So you could potentially walk around, listen to other people moving and what attacks they're doing within a particular arena, if you like, and fight other people. That could be down the line. Yes. hundred percent. So the next thing that sort of springs to mind story. Okay. It was questioned that the story was a bit basic. Why she didn't have a problem with the story? 
there were points where maybe I thought, all right, am I getting a little bit bored? And then there'd be something that dragged me back in. But isn't that kind of what you want from a game? There's the tough parts, there's the parts where you have to grind sometimes, and then there's points that just keep you coming back. Once yes. you've done a certain bit. So I, I don't really get that point. I mean, you're always going to be constrained when you have a blind protagonist. And as mentioned by Dave and Jamie, they didn't want to opt into like the tropes. And I think that's, that's really well done by them. By the end, there was a little bit of predictability with some of the story. But what stories aren't predictable? Like everything has been seen at this point. I mean, it's so rare. I mean, you watch a Marvel film and they're all the same. Oh, fuck yeah. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy them. At the same time, I don't really get the whole point of like the, the story isn't great. I, I, I think that it's a likable protagonist. The side cast are pretty good. That was one thing that they brought up in the, uh, in the review that the protagonist is overly optimist. What protagonist isn't? You have to have someone with that drive to go forward. Otherwise, what's the point? Uh, if you have a protagonist that's like, oh, yeah, I'm really mopey and I'll just give up after the first fucking battle, it's not protagonist, is it? It's just thing that you want someone who you can root for. And, okay, there were some scenes of hardship. There were, like, I'm not spoiling anything in this game, but there were some scenes which made Alex, the protagonist, really, like, taken aback. And they... Try to, you know, they develop the character. And, yeah, that, that's, is what it is, but their optimism drove them forwards. There's places to go with it, I think. 100%. And some of the side characters. Oh, mate, some of the side characters were gold. It was questioned whether the voice acting brought you out of the experience. I personally don't think it did. I thought the voice acting was quite good. Yes. And again, it was mentioned when we spoke to Jamie and Dave that Sometimes the visuals can bring you out of a game if something's a bit crusty and, you know, the animation's not quite there. But I don't think that was necessarily the case with The Veil. I thought the voice acting was, on a whole, quite good. Yes. But I can't, I couldn't, I can't really knock it. I agree. I think, on the whole, it was, it was really good. I, mm. I enjoyed it. The portrayal of characters was great. And, like, you've got to remember, this is a low-budget studio. Like they're not a naughty dog who can go out and spend a hundred grand on getting someone like Nolan North or someone like that in to do like voice work, like professional been doing it for thirty year voice acting. Like these aren't people they can get. So I think within their constraints, I think the, the voice acting was fantastic, to be honest. Well, I never really they, noticed it as yeah. an issue. One of those things Dave mentioned was the budget. Considering they're an indie developer, I think they made a great game on a great bud- on like on a tight budget. I agree. I think as well the fact that we're talking about it and the fact that a lot of people are talking about it means that they've done something. Even if it's not the hugest thing, they've done something relevant. You can't pass up the fact that this is such an influential game. Okay, we referenced the Last of Us too, it, like here and and in the interview, but that was a mainstream game that put accessible features into it but this was a game built from the ground up with accessibility in mind with the idea of everyone should be able to play this and i think that's such an important thing you can't underplay what for the school have done here they have made a mainstream game that just happens to be accessible i'm not going to say it's a perfect game and i i have some some hang-ups about it 
I, I do, and I think that just means that there's development potential there. And as mentioned you know, by, by developers Dave and Jamie, like, I think they're very keen to get out there and, and do some exciting things going forwards. For a game like The Veil, Shadow of the Crown, to come out and to get flack, it's getting flack from full-sighted people who are judging it just as a game. They're missing the importance of it, I think. Yes. Put a blindfold on and queue up like five different games, including The Veil, and say to them afterwards, which was the best game out of all of those and how would you rate it? And they'd go to The Veil every single time. Okay, we even get past the fucking menu on the other four. If you're going to review a game that's predominantly there for accessibility, but also given a great experience at the same time and a great story, maybe this is a consideration you should be making. On that? Closing thoughts. Great foundation game, I would say. Keep the good work, boys. Adios. Thanks for listening to the Seesaw Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Seesaw Podcast, Twitter, Seesaw Pod. You can email us at seesawpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on TikTok and Instagram at Seesaw Podcast or Seesaw Pod, depending on which one we want. But get us on the other places. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience.